We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, August the 20th, 2020. On today's show, I'll give my initial reaction. The SEC releasing their full schedule Monday night. The Gamecocks 2020 schedule is out. I'll give my initial reactions, plus early gambling picks as the SEC releases their over-unders, week one lines. South Carolina's over-under win total has been released as well. I'll give my full reactions and some gambling picks, some opportunities where I think you could score some money this SEC football season. Also, news and notes to get into that include takeaways from fall camp thus far, some of the comments from some of the guys. Will Muschamp defending Mike Bobo. Much, much more to get to there as well. Your listener questions as always, and we have a fantastic interview Former Gamecocks wide receiver K.J. Brent joins the show. Phenomenal interview. Great perspective from him from his time during the South Carolina days when he was there, when Steve Spurrier was there. The glory days of Carolina football. His time at Wake Forest when he transferred. Time in the NFL as well. Really, really good stuff from K.J. An awesome dude, and we appreciate him taking his time to join the show. Before we get in everything, this is a podcast to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one that I recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-R-S-U-P. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, there is no other app I want to use. Sports are coming back. They're on the way back, whether it be South Carolina football, MLB, NHL, NBA, whatever. I know things are still kind of weird right now with the coronavirus, but I really do feel like We are moving towards fans being back in the seats. I know schools all over the country right now are announcing their capacity requirements or whatever for the season. That means fans are going to be in the seats, and that means you're going to need your tickets. SeatGeek is definitely going to be the way to go with all this madness going on. Number one, you're obviously not going to scalp. You don't want to come within six feet of somebody else. You don't want to risk getting the COVID. Why would you scalp your tickets? It's all going to be done via the mobile app or on a website. We know that already. Number two, The tickets are going to be very limited with only 20% capacity at most places, 15 to 20%, whatever. It's going to be tougher than ever to get a ticket. SeatGeek is going to be vital. They're going to show you exactly where you're sitting, what you're getting, what you're paying for. Because listen, I can guarantee you people are going to try to mark up the prices on these tickets to get the most possible money because they know how rare the tickets are. So you want SeatGeek to be there for you to say, hey, Here's a steal. Go ahead and cop it. Or, hey, you're overpaying. Don't worry about that ticket. Go go wait for another one. So SeatGeek is going to be the way to go. Again, I know that for my tickets this fall, I'm going to be on SeatGeek, and you should as well. Again, 
That is our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Let's get it. Show. We got a packed one for you, a good one. Hope everyone is having a fantastic week. Lot to get to here on a Thursday. We are just 37 days away from kickoff, folks. We're almost at the month mark. We're almost at the month mark, just over a month away from college football kicking off. Before we get into everything, a couple housekeeping items as always. If you haven't done so, be sure to rate and subscribe. We're about to hit 300 reviews on iTunes, guys. I would love to hit that number. If you haven't done so, click the pause button. Take five seconds out of your day. Be sure to go leave five stars. Leave your thoughts, your feedback. Hey, if there's things you like, things you don't like, whatever it may be, please take that time. Five seconds out of your day. Go leave a review, and I appreciate everyone that's already done that. Also, if you're not subscribed and you're tuned in, be sure to hammer that subscribe button. You want to be sure you're subscribed because, listen, the show – once the season gets here, it's going to go back to the daily podcast, which I'll tell you guys selfishly, I cannot wait for because I, I honestly, I love getting in a routine and getting on the podcast and getting behind the mic every single day. It's a lot of fun. Um, but you're going to want to make sure you're subscribed so you're getting those daily notifications. So again, rate, subscribe if you haven't. Appreciate those that have already done it. Uh, also, new merch dropping or dropped, if you will. New merch dropped yesterday uh, on the Spurs Up show, tsus.store. Got some really fun stuff, and there will be a lot more stuff coming as we get closer to kickoff as well. I'm really going to make it an initiative to push more fun, cool, creative merch for you guys. So, again, if you want to check it out, tsus.store. It's pretty simple. tsus.store. That's where you can find and keep up with all the new merch that we're dropping. Um, also, NCAA 14 streams are going on right now. With the schedule dropping on Monday night, I was like, you know what? There's no better time than the present. The way that I'm doing them, guys, and I think I made you guys aware of this already, but <clears throat> we're doing them via Twitter and Periscope video, not Twitch. The reason that I'm doing that is because the quality streaming PS3 to Twitch is an absolute nightmare. It's not something I want to deal with. The quality really, really suffers when you do it that way. So I decided, you know what, quality over anything. So I did, I'm doing it to Periscope. The video is going straight to Twitter. I'm doing my absolute best to share it to Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else when we go live. But uh, we're 1-0 right now, which was shocking. If you guys watched the first stream or saw the final results, we beat the absolute dog shit out of Tennessee, which really, really surprised me. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it did surprise me a little bit. So um, as I'm recording this, we take on Florida tonight. We will take on Vanderbilt on tonight. Well, we take on Florida Wednesday night when I'm recording this, which would be tonight. We take on Florida Wednesday night. We'll take on Vanderbilt on Thursday. And then on Friday, we will take on the Auburn Tigers. I'm literally just going day by day, Monday through Friday, whatever. So we will have uh, streams tonight, a stream Friday, Monday through Friday of next week, and then that following Monday to close it out. Every night at 7 o'clock, we're knocking it out. Every night at 7 o'clock, again, it's via Twitter, Periscope, whatever. 
tune in. You'll see the link pop up, pop up 7 o'clock. Um, we're doing these, the NCAA season simulation, if you will. And it, it's, it's going to be exciting. These are a lot of fun. Great way to kill time in the offseason. Guys, be sure to tune into that. Also, Rowdy Rooster Radio has been lit this week. Been a lot of fun. Five to six. I'm really liking the new one-hour setup. You guys, be sure to call in, tune into that. Rowdy Rooster Radio every single day, Monday through Friday, five to six. I'm um, getting after it. So let's dive into the show. All right, reaction to the 2020 football schedule. The Gamecock schedule came out. The entire SEC schedule came out. But let's focus on South Carolina's 2020 schedule. Just going down the list here. And again, I know you guys have already seen it. But just going down the list here, the Gamecocks opening with Tennessee, which obviously on Monday, that's what was released first. The week one games were released around 3 o'clock on Feinbaum on ESPN. Uh, later that afternoon, about 7, 7.30, whatever, you had the full schedule come out. That season opener against Tennessee, what, what an intriguing matchup. What an important matchup. And as we go through the schedule, you're going to see why. What an important matchup for South Carolina early in the season. You know, I talked about, I think, when I broke down Tennessee, how big of a game this is. <clears throat> how big of a game this is for both programs. You know, South Carolina, you know, I talked about before, South Carolina a program that I feel like for the last 10 years or so, you would say that you feel like South Carolina passed Tennessee a little bit. You know, Tennessee has had their struggles. And the Gamecocks, especially when Steve Spurrier was the head coach, passed Tennessee. And even Will Muschamp in his first three years beating Tennessee. Meanwhile, on the flip side, and you're trying to, obviously, if you're South Carolina, you're trying to stay ahead of them as a program. Meanwhile, on the flip side at Tennessee, they're trying to build back to what they once were. They're trying to compete with the upper echelon of the East with Georgia and Florida. They're trying to get back in that big three. So if you're a Tennessee program that you have that mindset, this is a must-win game for you as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of intriguing matchups. And when you look at South Carolina's early schedule, when you look at South Carolina's early schedule, this is what makes it a must-win for me. Because, listen, let's go down the schedule. You host Tennessee at home. You go to Florida week two, at Vanderbilt week three, Auburn week four at home, at LSU week five. Then you have a bye week. So that first five of your schedule is a gauntlet. It is an absolute gauntlet that first half of the season. Then you have your bye week on Halloween weekend. Then you have Texas A&M at home, at Ole Miss, Missouri at home, Georgia at home, and then you close at Kentucky. You know, my overall reaction, my initial reaction to the 2020 schedule, and guys, if you're wondering, my overall predictions, they will come out next week. I'm going to do exactly like I did last year. There's going to be a part one and a part two where I'll break down the first half of the season and then the second half and give my official predictions all week next week. going to be a lot of fun. Um, but my overall reaction to the schedule, listen, we knew it was going to be hard, right? I mean, that's, that's a given. We knew that it was going to be hard. But one of the things, you know, I, lot, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, it doesn't matter when you play anybody. Like, the schedule's hard no matter what. And, I mean, I agree with that to an extent. But, you know, momentum is a big thing in college sports and especially college football. And team morale, that's a big thing too. I mean, if you don't beat Tennessee, if you don't beat Tennessee week one, there's a very realistic chance you could start one and four. And for a team that knows it's in a big year, you know, I, I'm not really going to say they're a younger team because I don't think they're necessarily younger. I think, you know, you've got a lot of veteran presence on this team. But a team that's definitely looking to build some confidence after a really rough year last year, you know, selfishly, I was kind of hoping for a little bit easier of a start where you could maybe get to 2-0, and maybe 3-0, and you know what I mean? Like maybe you could, you could get a couple wins under your belt. But it puts so much emphasis now, like I said, on that Tennessee game. Because 
you have Vandy week three. You really feel like you should be able to beat Vandy. I'm, let's go ahead and chalk that up as a dub. There's a big difference in starting two and one versus starting one and two. And I mean, I know that's an obvious statement, but there is a big, big difference for this team this year. I think the schedule, you know, the schedule, it's funny. This schedule reminds me a lot of the old schedule in the sense that it's flipped, though. Because, you know, the old schedule, the back half of South Carolina's schedule was brutal, right? It was absolutely brutal. Now you just flip it. Now, I have seen some people saying, and I actually agree with this sentiment a lot, that you know what? South Carolina has dealt with so many problems with injuries. Hey, let's play all the toughest games first and we're the healthiest. I mean, I, I get that sentiment 110%, no doubt. I get that sentiment 110%. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, it does, maybe it does help you. Maybe it, maybe it does help you. I don't know. Maybe it does help you that you can play those big teams early and you'll have a fully healthy squad, right? <clears throat> And listen, there are opportunities early to really set the tone for the season. Again, I think Tennessee is one of those. I'm not saying Florida's an unwinnable game. You've played them tough. Will South Carolina be able to get the revenge for what happened last year? Auburn at home, I think, could be a really interesting game. At LSU, I would say, is probably the toughest of those first five, and I think probably the least likely to win because, listen, I know that LSU, they lost a ton. I get that. But LSU is still one of the best teams in the country. They're still one of the most talented teams in the country. And I know that this is going to be a weird year as far as attendance and going on the road. It's not going to have quite the same effect. But, bro, anytime you got to go at LSU, I'm not very optimistic. <laughs> I'm not very optimistic about that. Um, you do get a bye before Texas A&M. Can you finally snap the losing streak to those guys? Um. And I'll tell you this, the only thing that I hate about the schedule is games against Ole Miss and Missouri, and even Kentucky. These were games that, you know, having them, at least Missouri and Kentucky, having them earlier in the season, especially Mizzou, especially Mizzou, you know, I felt really good about catching a Mizzou team early with a brand. And I know, you know, South Carolina is very familiar with Eli Drinkwitz. He beat him with App State. But catching a Mizzou team early with a brand-new head coach and they're incorporating new systems, you know what I'm saying? They're, that's a big transition going through a coaching change. Um, I'm a little more worried now, now that you play them late in the season, and they're going to have time to figure it out. And, I mean, same thing for Kentucky. Not that Kentucky necessarily needed a ton of time to figure it out, but – Playing them last game of the year. Will South Carolina be banged up for that one? I mean, if the injury history says anything, and I have my fingers crossed that Paul Jackson is the answer, and he is the guy that's going to figure this thing out of the injuries is concerned. But, you know, if, if, if this follows a similar path as other must-champ teams, we're probably going to be pretty beat up when we get to Georgia and Kentucky the last two games of the year. So, listen, overall reaction to the 2020 schedule, I like the schedule from the sense of we're going to find out who this football team is, I mean, immediately. No question. Because Tennessee, and we're about to get into the gambling lines, this is, a, this is a coin flip type of game. It's a coin flip type of game. We're going to find out what type of football team South Carolina has really quickly. It's unfortunate, though. I'll be honest with you. It's unfortunate, and I talked about it on the show Monday, about the importance of fall camp. Because, listen, you have no time to adjust to this new offense. Like, there isn't a coast on an ECU to kind of warm up and get the engine running a little bit. Like, you got to be ready to go week one. 
you you got to be ready to go week one. So I I really kind of wish, you know, I, I made the joke with somebody that, hey, everybody's watching tonight, just praying they get that Vanderbilt matchup week one. I mean, seriously, though, everybody's hoping they get that Vanderbilt matchup. But, I mean, listen, there's a lot of opportunity early in the schedule. If you want to look at it that way, there's a lot of opportunity early in this schedule to really set the tone for a great year. Um, you know, again, Tennessee at Florida, Auburn at LSU. There's opportunity there. You want opportunities to get big wins and show the program's heading the right trajectory and really set the tone for a good season. You've got that opportunity early, but it's definitely, it's definitely going to be a gauntlet. There's no question. I mean, we all knew that. Pretty much everybody in the SEC has a tough schedule this year. I mean, listen, when you're playing ten conference opponents, there's there's no hiding from it. You're going to have a tough schedule. So. Um, Right now, you know, and again, I'll get into this a lot more next week, but right now when you look at it, you know, I would say South Carolina's probably going to be an underdog in at least seven of ten games. When you look at probably Vanderbilt, I would say they're probably going to be favored against Mizzou at home, and then I would say at Ole Miss, and it'll probably depend on how both teams' seasons are going at that point. I mean, Ole Miss does have John Rise Plumley, and they do have Lane Kiffin, but outside of that, that's a, that's a team that's really going through a transition as well. Um, so you think you'd be favored in that one. But realistically, you're probably going to be the underdog in every other game. And that's going to segue right into the gambling lines that came out from Bovada, from FanDuel Sportsbook. I said the SEC released them earlier, but those different books released them. And I think you see that. Over-unders released for the SEC, and obviously we're going to focus on South Carolina here. The Gamecocks over-under set at three and a half wins. Three and a half wins for South Carolina. And, you know, people scoff at that number. And, l- listen, I think it's, you know, um, I've heard people saying it's disrespectful. It's a slap in the face. I don't like it either. But realistically, when you look at the schedule, it, it honestly, it's right on the money. It's right on the money. I mean, think about this. We're talking about a team that won four games last year and had four non-conference games to play as well. So, you know, and again, you just look at the team South Carolina's playing. They're going to be a dog in probably seven of ten games. I 110% agree that 500 or better should be the minimum expectation this year. No doubt. And like I said, I'm going to dive into that a lot more next week when I give my official predictions. But I think over under three and a half wins, man, is spot on. I, I really do. As much as I hate to say that, I think that's a spot on number for this team. Week one lines coming out as well. South Carolina, a one-point underdog opening up. And I think that was, uh, that was FanDuel Sportsbook that had that line. Yeah, and that's exactly where I expect this line to be. I think it's going to be a coin flip type of game. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot. You know, you look, at t- you look at Twitter. You look at Vol Twitter. Tennessee fans are very confident they're going to beat South Carolina. Very confident. Listen, I think Tennessee has questions too. Just because of what happened last year in the game, it has no implications what's going to happen this year. Absolutely none. Because, um, you know, the Gamecocks went up there, what, we're leading at halftime, and you get, get beat by 20 points, 21 points. So, you know, I don't think last year has any indication of what's going to happen this year. I really do think it's going to be a coin flip game. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth, low-scoring game, and I think that number is right on the money for that game as well, either a pick em or – you know, either team favored by one point or so. I think 
I think in a normal year, and again, you wouldn't be playing Tennessee week one, but let's just say you were, in a normal year, if you had a packed Williams-Brice and you had normal crowds, I think you actually might see South Carolina as a favorite. I think the home field advantage might give it to Carolina. But, you know, who has more question marks? I guess that's the question. Who has more question marks, Tennessee or South Carolina? Because they both do. Um, they both do. You know, who's going to play quarterback for Tennessee? Is it going to be Garantano? Is it going to be somebody else? And in the Gamecocks, I mean, you're breaking in a, a, a whole new offensive scheme. You know, will, will this offense be ready to go week one? Who's going to be a quarterback for South Carolina? You never know. There might be a battle there, like I've talked about. So, um, but yeah, those lines, I think, are spot on. I mean, over under three and a half wins. There's going to be a lot of debate over that in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's tough for me. Gun, honestly, because I want to give you guys like a gun to head. Who would I, what would I take? If I had to bet the house, if I had to bet the business on an over or under, what would I take? And it's tough because I'm stuck right there on that. I mean, I, I don't know. I really don't. I really don't. I mean, listen, I think there's a path to six wins. I, I do. But every time I try to get myself optimistic about this team, like overly optimistic, I just think of losing to App State last year. And I know, again, that last season has no indication on what's going to happen this season, but I remember who our head coach is. That, just to be honest with you. I just – I don't have trust and faith that we will – South Carolina will win the games it's supposed to win and win a few of the swing games as well. So – I'd probably, if you're going to gamble on it, I'd probably lean under, to be honest with you. But that ten, and that's why, again, going back to the schedule, that's why that Tennessee game is so, so important for this season. Because I think if you beat Tennessee, you open up a world of possibilities to get to five or six wins. You lose to Tennessee, again, you're staring one and four right in the face. And from there, I just think the season, I think this season, looking at that schedule, I think this season can spiral out of control really, really fast. And I'm not saying that to be negative. I'm just saying that, you know, this is not a forgiving schedule. So if you lose to Tennessee and you start one and four, it's not like the back half is going to be like easy. You know what I mean? It, it's unfortunately, you know, with the, with the original schedule, at least the first half you felt was a little softer. I mean, heck, the back half, man, you still got A&M. You have a tricky game at Ole Miss. And then you have Georgia. And then you got to go to Kentucky where you've never played well. Oh, and by the way, you got to play Mizzou, who Eli Drinkwitz beat you last year with Appalachian State's talent. What's he going to do with Mizzou's talent? So, again, I'm going to give my full predictions next week. I'm really excited for that. Obviously, I love giving the predictions, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and I really want a lot of feedback from you guys as well. I'll be putting out the voicemail number and stuff like that, but I really want you guys' feedback and to hear what you guys think. This is, this is a, it's a daunting schedule. I mean, like, like I said, we knew it would be. If you don't like the SEC, if you don't like playing a hard schedule, get out of the SEC. It's going to be hard every year. But, you know, I'd say I'm, I feel like I'm saying the same things this year that I said about last year's schedule. It, it's tough, but there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity to, you know, make a statement, show the programs on the right track, get some big wins, you know, beat some quality programs. I really, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. But again, I'll say it again. I think it just puts the emphasis on that Tennessee game because you lose that when you start one and four. This seat, this schedule's not forgiving. It, it can spiral out of control very quickly. So 
We'll have to see what happens. And like I said, guys, full predictions coming next week. Full predictions coming next week. Really excited about that. A um, couple news and notes to get into, and then we'll get into your listener questions. Um, some fall camp takeaways. Yeah, so fall camp takeaways thus far. Again, we're just going off of what the guys have said, basically, in their, uh, in their media availability. Because, again, the media is not really able to be out there see, uh, seeing anything, taking anything away. So, really, just going off of comments from what guys have said. You know, day one of camp, they talked to Ryan Halinski. He had a lot of comments to say about Marshawn Lloyd, uh, Shai Smith, Josh Van. Uh, some really interesting comments coming from today, though, day t- or yesterday, day two. Uh, Jalen Brooks. The transfer wide receiver from Wingate is being talked about a lot. J.C. Horn said he was a guy that he mentioned, said he is the real deal. Um, so exciting to hear from Jalen Brooks. Again, the big body kid from Wingate, uh, really excited about that. Tyquan Johnson also has left the football team, a transfer wide receiver. He redshirted last year. Uh, must champion him apparently just agreed that it was time for him to get a fresh start. So Tyquan Johnson, wish him the best. Also, the Gamecocks have added Colin Galloway, a freshman from Wren, and he's going to compete for the long snapper position. Again, really the fall takeaways, the fall camp takeaways are simply coming from the post-practice interviews. I will tell you this, guys, about fall camp. No news is the best news because no news news means that nobody's gotten trouble and nobody's gotten hurt. And that is the two things you want to get through fall camp. Hey, nobody's gotten sick either. Nobody's gotten COVID. That's great news. I don't want to hear any news. I want us just to get through fall camp and get to the season. So, great news to hear on that front. Also, I thought one thing that was really interesting, and it's funny how this story, because I talked about it on the show, it's funny how this story just died. It's funny how this story just died, (laughs) really. Um, Will Muschamp defending Mike Bobo in his initial presser, basically saying he didn't even want to talk about it. He didn't even want to give it the attention that it was seeking. But him basically saying that, you know, there's not a racist bone in Mike Bobo's body and he's a great man and all that. So I think it's safe to say that the whole Mike Bobo is a racist thing has been squashed. I don't know. The Coloradoan, I mean, did they just disappear? Like they haven't even followed up on the story. I mean, it just seems, you know, because listen, if you're going to make a claim like that, that adamantly about another human being, you got to, you know, if you if you believe in it, or whatever, and if you and you think there's change, or is, especially let's just put it this way, especially in the landscape of this world today, if that story had any validity, Mike Bobo would his ass would be grass in this world today because you can't hide from it. You know what I mean? People are getting exposed left and right. So, I think it says a lot. Will Muschamp just making that statement? I think we can all put this Mike Bobo thing to rest. So. Good news. It's good news for sure. Uh, all right, let's get into your listener questions. Have a couple here. We'll start. Krusty Andy, more likely upset out of Georgia, Florida, and LSU. I think you've got to go – definitely not LSU. I, I just think LSU's too good. They're too talented. Um, I want to say Georgia at home, but I really think Georgia will have revenge on their minds. I'm going to – see, I would say Auburn. I would go either Auburn or A&M, or I think are the two most likely. But out of those three, give me at Florida. You, you've been so close with them recently. Give me at Florida. I know Florida's a really good team, but I, I just, as much as I want to believe that we can beat Georgia like that two years in a row, and I know that Georgia game's always crazy. It's always weird. I, I just, I think Georgia's going to come in. And it's late in the season too, man. Like Georgia's going to be playing for the SEC East. 
we're not going to catch them napping. You know what I mean? Like, we're not going to catch them napping. They're, they're going to come in ready to play. Um, they're going to have their, their offense by that point down pat, you would think. So, I think that's going to be a tough one. But I think we can catch Florida early. I do. I think we can catch Florida early. So, give me at Florida is the most likely upset. Um, he asks again, how much money should I bet for over five wins? My friend, if you're that confident for over five, bet the house on over three and a half because that's the over-under. Take it. Take the over three and a half. Um, soccer.jason101. Will Muschamp be rotating quarterbacks against top-tier teams like LSU and Georgia to throw them off? I don't think so. I, I, I've never been one to believe in a two-quarterback system in that regard. No, I don't think so. I think South Carolina is either going to have Ryan Helinski or Colin Hill be their guy. Now, if one guy's not playing well and they want to bring somebody else in, whatever. That is what it is. But I, I don't think just to do it, I don't think South Carolina is going to be shuffling quarterbacks just to do it. I, I just, you know, Will Muschamp's not Steve Spurrier. You know, Spurrier could get away with that and do it because he is Steve Spurrier. You know, he's a quarterback whisperer. I think South Carolina right now needs to focus on finding the one guy. They need to find QB1, groom him, and ride with him. I, that's what they need to do. Uh, DBoosh underscore. Which game is more winnable, Auburn or A&M? Great question. I, that's a great question. I'm going to go – I'm going to go A&M. I'm going to go A&M. I think you're just so due to beat those guys. You know what I mean? I think you're so due to beat Texas A&M. I think A&M might be one of those teams that's maybe getting a little too much hype in during the season. Um, I'm going to go A&M. I, I just – I think both – I think both South Carolina has a good chance in, but I'm going to go A&M. Jimmy.James.76. Muschamp is pretty good off the bye week. So is that is this the year we beat AM? Yeah, like I was just saying, I, I think it sets up well. You have the bye before Texas AM too. Yeah. I, I I think it sets up well. Are we actually gonna get the job done? I don't know, but it does set up well this year for sure. Gamecocks today. Last question. Predictions for 2020. My friend, Gamecocks today. Tune in next week. I will have full predictions. I'll break down the first half of the schedule Monday, break down the second half. Thursday to round out my 2020 predictions. You guys are going to know exactly what I'm thinking. Um, so tune in then. I'm really excited about it. Again, I did a two-part series last year, and it seemed to do really, really well. Uh, so I'm excited about that for sure. All right. Got a fantastic interview. Appreciate the listener questions, by the way, guys. We have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks wide receiver K.J. Brent. He also played a year at Wake Forest before playing in the NFL for four different teams. Had a phenomenal career, and KJ, an awesome dude. A new father, by the way. So really, really cool stuff. Really awesome stuff for KJ, but tons of great stories. If you guys forgot, KJ played right in the middle of the Spurrier era. I mean, he was at South Carolina from 11 to 14. So, I mean, he was there for some of the best wins in school history. There for all three 11-win teams. And, again, as good as he was as a football player, a fantastic dude, a great human being as well. Enjoyed my conversation with KJ. So, guys, sit back, relax, enjoy. Interview with KJ Brent coming up. It's all brought to you by our friends again over at SeatGeek. Guys, again, sports are coming back. Fans are going to be in the stadium. You're going to need your tickets. SeatGeek is the way to go. They are changing the way that you buy tickets. Like I said, especially in this COVID-19 world. Number one, scout, like I don't know if anybody scalped anyways, but like almost paper tickets just aren't a thing anymore. Paper tickets aren't a thing. And you're not going to be scalping for a paper ticket. I mean, those are cool when you're a season ticket holder and you get them in the mail and it's like, oh my God, here are my tickets. But everybody's using a mobile ticket anyway. So you're going to go through a mobile app. You're going to go through a website and you need to go through SeatGeek. That's the one to go through. Because again, in this world, especially where it's going to be limited capacity, 
There's going to be limited tickets. They're going to help you find the best bang for your buck. They're going to give you the absolute best seat and deal that you can find. With their deal score, they have the deal score. It's going to show you. It does all of that work for you. And I'm going to save you money in the process. I'm literally putting $20 back in your pocket. You are welcome. So, again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-R-S-U-P to save $20 off your first purchase. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver, K.J. Brent. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, a man that played wide receiver for the Gamecocks from 2012 to 2014. He also played for Wake Forest in 2015. During his college career, had 56 receptions, 735 yards, and two touchdowns. He also played in the NFL from 2016 to 2019 for teams like Oakland, Seattle, Indianapolis, and Tampa Bay. And like I said, he's a recent father as well, so we say congratulations to him. Former Gamecocks wide receiver K.J. Brent joining the show. K.J., appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate you taking the time to let me come on. Absolutely. So, KJ, let's go back to the beginning for you because obviously you were at South Carolina during some of the glory years. Uh, I mentioned 2012 to 2014, but you're from Waxhaw, North Carolina. Uh, went to Marvin Ridge High School. Just talk about your recruitment. Obviously, your head coach, a legend, Steve Spurrier, Steve Spurrier Jr., your assistant or your position coach, if you will. Just talk about your recruitment of South Carolina. What made you come down and choose the Gamecocks? Uh, it was actually between. Towards the end of my high school career, it ended up being between North Carolina and South Carolina. Mm. Um, and what what it really boiled down to, I wa- obviously wanted to play in one of the, you know, the top five, power five conferences. I wanted to compete. I wanted to play with the best of the best. Uh, and then my recruiter at the time was Jay Graham, a running best coach. Um, and just the, the feel that I got from South Carolina – versus the field that I got from North Carolina based on, you know, who they wanted, how they approached me as a recruit. Um, it was pretty much, you know, I asked a couple questions and the answers I got back, it, it made it pretty much a no brainer. Um, I ended up committing to South Carolina my junior year on the way home from North Carolina spring game. So I ended up going to North Carolina for their spring game. Um, no reason why. I just it was it was just a last minute decision to go there because um, I had been the last game I went to was the South Carolina game. So after a couple of questions there, asked South Carolina the same questions, and I got the answers that I needed and uh, called Jay Graham. Actually, I think it was the next day. Um, I made a decision on my way home. Called Coach Graham the next day and made the commitment uh, verbal, obviously, but. Uh, I was always excited to – I remember the first game I ever went to as a recruit was the Vanderbilt game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people might not chalk up Vanderbilt to be a crazy uh, – at the time, a crazy competitive game. But that was my first – that was my first SEC game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was I was in awe at just the environment that williams Bryce had. And uh, I remember my mom telling me that, you know, she saw – she saw the lights go off as soon as I got to that game. Um, and as the rest is kind of history. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, you know, when you were there going on your visits, I'm sure that, that's really when Williams Bryce was at its peak. I mean, I think I was probably at that game you were talking about. It was just a pure madhouse. I mean, you, you, you can obviously attest you were there on the field. I mean, it was a yeah. pure madhouse, but what were the, what was the relationship like in the first interactions with Steve Spurrier? Because I, I've had some of your former teammates and guys that just played wide receiver under him and it's, it's honestly really funny to hear the stories because, you know, we all hear – everybody knows how tough Steve Spurrier is on his quarterbacks. But 
he's damn near as tough on his receivers as well. Like some of the stories I've heard, Mo Brown has told me some of the horror stories of, you know, if you drop the football, like he just doesn't accept that. Um, <laughs> just, just talk about, you know, some of your stories or just your first interactions with Steve Spurrier and kind of just your first impressions of him. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he's literally like he is – you know, everyone asks me, is Coach Ferrer really like he is on interviews and on TV? Like, that is him. He doesn't change. <laughs> uh, I remember actually the first – one of the first <clears> – I think it might have been my first time there uh, or towards, like, when I was kind of getting known as a recruit there. Um, you know, Spurrier's meeting with a whole bunch of families, a whole bunch of different recruits, and I don't know if he had met my sister yet, but it was me, my parents, and my sister there. And he – I think he thought – that Madison, my sister, was my girlfriend. So you see, that was like the kind of first introduction that she had with him, which is always a funny story that we go back to. Um, but yeah, I mean, he can in the film room. He can he can make you feel this big uh, if he really wants to. Drop it a pass if you don't. I mean, they they took curl routes very seriously. That was like that was Junior's favorite route. That was you know menu five. That was like their favorite play. And if you run it wrong, uh, at the wrong depth, if you drop the curl, you gonna hear it. And uh, I mean, it was it was always there was always an entertaining uh, segment of you know meetings uh, and with the offense with Spurry because he's just very animated. Um, you don't beat around the bush with anybody, especially the quarterbacks, like you said. Mm-hmm. So um, it was definitely uh, it's definitely a fun time to be a player under Spurry. Yeah, now, KJ, I know, again, you play in the wide receiver position. I think what made those teams great that you were on, especially those 12 and 13 teams, and, I mean, you can attest being in the NFL, being in NFL camps, iron sharpens iron. It's the best of the best battling one another, and that's why you're so good because to to play, you've got to be the best. Now, when you were at South Carolina, you could say the same thing about every position on the field, but, I mean, especially the wide receivers. I mean, I think back to who South Carolina had on the outside. The Gamecocks were just loaded. I mean, Connor Shaw had his fair share of guys to go to. Just talk about being, again, a wide receiver in that wide receiver room. I know you played sparingly, especially in your first two seasons, but, I mean, how much better do you think it made you as a player? Just, I mean, knowing the guys you were going up against, I'm sure especially when you first stepped on campus, you, you, you probably stepped back and were like, you know, this is, this is big-time football. This is, I'm, yeah. I'm going against the best of the best here at Carolina. Yeah, uh, I guess going on a little bit more about that, my, my first camp practice with pads on, I remember Antonio Allen was – I mean, he was, he was obviously blitzing off the edge, and he was my guy. If he was blitzing, I had to go crack back on him. And, you know, I was still learning, you know, certain signs and different ways to kind of line up. And I remember that's when I really realized the difference of speed between high school and college. Because as soon as that ball snapped, I felt like as soon as I looked over, he was already at the quarterback. Uh, so that's when I got my little first little realization of how fast the SEC – speed is um but from a wide receiver standpoint you know being able to watch guys like Alshon my first year and um you know JB my first year uh Ace Sanders Bruce Ellington you know we had guys every single year that could contribute um not just at a receiver position but everywhere else on the field and I remember you know I'm six three six four and Ace is a lot smaller than me, a lot of way quicker than I am off the line. But I remember watching his releases and obviously a guy in my frame can't do what he does off the line. But, you know, he inspired me to work on my footwork because it wasn't where it needed to be. 
Uh, I knew I wasn't going to get to where Ace was because that's just not physically possible for me. Uh, but it definitely made me want to work uh, on certain aspects of my game. And, you know, everywhere else, like Nick Jones being the, the kind of the role player that he was, he was vital for that offense. And, you know, he's a smaller guy too, but, you know, he's going to block like a 6'3", 200 guy. He's going to lay, lay, lay life on the line to block. Um, so, you know, I, all those guys that I was able to watch helped me in certain areas of my game. Um, and uh, being, being able to be around that, that caliber of players was definitely, uh, definitely an experience uh, that, you know, I took to the next level. Um, I learned a lot from those guys, whether I asked them directly or not. Um, I watched them every single day on one-on-ones and uh, all the different drills he went, in, uh, went into. So I learned a lot from them, and it was, a, it was a, definitely an honor to be a, a part of the, that group. For sure. I want to correct myself as well, by the way. You did redshirt in 2011, so <clears throat> you yeah. were on campus in 2011, so my, that's my bad. I was looking at, the stat you're good, you're good. looking at the stat sheet and saw 12 pop up, but yeah, you did redshirt in 2011. I do want to make that clear. So when I ask this next question, I'm glad that I have that, uh, that context now because not only were you part of those 12 and 13 teams, but 11, 12, and 13, like I said, you redshirted the first year. You played sparingly the next two. Um, but still, to be a part of a team that accomplished what those teams accomplished, I mean, winning three straight bowl games, three straight 11-win seasons, you beat Clemson three straight years. I mean, just to be a part of those teams, I just can't imagine there was any, ever any better time in the history of South Carolina football to be a South Carolina football player than that time. I'm sure that had to be a magical oh, yeah. time for you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that. go back to the whole environment. It was electric at every single game, and whether we were playing – and FCS, that FCS team, that game before the Clemson game every year, that game was packed every single year. And those aren't typically the games that you see a bunch of fans in the stadium, but that's just how williams Bryce was, especially since we were that good. Um, and then those years, we were one game away every single year from the SEC championship game. It was always at the end of some game. You know, I remember it being, you know, the LSU game or um, – a game like that where we, we thought we had in the bag and we ended up losing that one game that kind of took us out of contention. But we were always, we were always contenders those three years um, to make something shake. And that was, you know, looking back now, you, th those were those opportunities we had to get to, you know, the NCC championship game or the possible, like the BCS and all that kind of stuff was, and we finished in the top 10, I think every year that those yep. three years. And, um, the caliber of players we had, you know, the draft picks we had those years. And, I mean, it was, it was like you said, a great time to be a soccer line football player, a great time to be a soccer line fan. Um, and, you know, I look back now, all the guys that are still playing, all the guys that were that did play, but, you know, that circulated through that, those teams, the level of talent was crazy. Um, there was always competition. There was always – it was just a fun time to be a player, too, because we were winning. Um, it was fun in the locker room. Everybody was, you know, high spirits. Um, it was just fun. For sure. You, you've been talking about the environment a lot, KJ. And again, there's, <clears throat> there's so many games that you, you were a part of that we could just go down the list of this game, this game, this game. But just off the top of my head, 2012 Georgia, obviously a 35 to seven win pandemonium at Williams Bryce. I think of 2013 yeah. Clemson's another one. And then 2014, the Georgia game, a game which I was at, and I would argue that the missed field goal was one of the loudest, not the loudest times at Williams-Brice. What was, what was the loudest that you can recall Williams-Brice? Is it one of those, or is it maybe like a different game that's a little under the radar? The loudest game, the loudest I've ever heard Williams-Brice was 
it was either two on two different plays. The first two games you talked about, it was either Aces punt return against Georgia. Um, those that was one of the one the mm. two times in college that I felt the stadium shake mm. um, on the field, and then the other was the next year. I think it was the next year Clemson game mm. uh, where I think it might have been I think it might have been the first touchdown Bruce's touchdown mm. uh, towards the student section. Those two plays. I'll always remember as some of the two of the loudest that I ever heard Williams Bryce Stadium. Uh, definitely those two plays and, and those two games in general. Like those two games were in, insane from an electricity environment standpoint. That was that like that was some of the best environment you could ever play in. And then the 2014 game, obviously, that was a crazy environment as well. And just a crazy game in general, for sure. I mean, the rain, yeah. hour and a half delay, it was just, it was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah. Um, I, I want to move into that 2014 season, KJ. I, I want to ask you, I mean, again, offensively, you guys did your thing. But just from your perspective, um, I, I think everyone assumed, fans especially, but guys that I've talked to that I've had on the show previously that were, you know, your former teammates, you know, everyone just assumed, because listen, you guys came in preseason top 10 team. Again, you know, you're opening up SEC Network against Texas A&M. Um, Everyone just assumed that it was going to keep rolling. You know what I mean? That we were just going to keep winning. I mean, we're going to keep winning big. Um, and, again, like I said, offensively, I think you guys certainly did your thing. But there were a lot of changes on that team for sure. I mean, you lost Clowney on the defensive side. That was the yeah. really, really big one. But you lost others on the defensive line. Um, you're replacing Connor Shaw with Dylan Thompson. I mean, there, there were a lot of holes to fill. But, you know, listen, Steve Spurrier coach team, we had plenty of talent, whatever. Did you see 2014 – like, did you see the way that season played out? Did you see that coming? Because, again, you're a guy – you lined up against that defense every single day. Was it something that – I mean, did you ever have any – not necessarily doubt. I mean, you have that confidence you guys put the work in. But, what? I mean, just to be honest, was there anything that necessarily that in your head you're like, you know what, I'm not really surprised the way 2014 played out? Um, it was definitely a different – look for like as a team um it was a different defense look like we lost a bunch of guys but we mm -hmm. still had the caliber of guys that could compete and could have kept it rolling um I can't really be one to pinpoint what it was right. that didn't allow it to happen um I think that Texas A&M game that first game was a sh shot right. uh because of the confidence we had, you know, we still had the confidence from the last few seasons, even though that some guys have circulated out uh, and we had some new younger guys in coming in. But, you know, we still kept that confidence. We still knew who we were. Um, and it just it just wasn't clicking. Um, I guess that's the best way to put it uh, without. There's a lot. I mean, yeah, it just wasn't clicking um, as, right. as much as we thought it was going to. There were some things that we had to do from an adjustment standpoint that just didn't pan out in certain games. And, um, you know, we were still able to, you know, crunch some games out and make a bowl game and win the bowl game. But um, it definitely didn't – it wasn't the, the same season that we had had the previous three years. Um, it just didn't click that year. Right. No, for sure. So, I, I want to move to you personally again. Um, lose A&M. Um, that East Carolina game, though, two catches, 26 yards. You have a touchdown. Um, you played your most by far as a Gamecock, obviously, in that 2014 season. But your first career touchdown catch comes in that East Carolina game. Again, I know it's not it's not one of those 
premier matchups or whatever, anything like that. But just talk yeah. about what that meant to you as far as to get that first touchdown on your belt in a win at home. I'm sure that had to be pretty special for you. It meant a ton because, I mean, I've been busting my butt to try and, you know, I wanted to be able to contribute. I wanted uh, some more shots and some more chances. And I, know, I remember they called the play and I was like, just please give me the leverage that I need for Dylan to throw me this ball. And I was, I was wide open. It's open. Yeah. I mean, you don't get that open at that level that many times ever. Uh, and I remember the picture that I, I can't remember who took the picture, but the picture that I got after that touchdown is like my favorite college picture that I have. Uh, so I'll always remember that moment because I had been working my tail off to get there. Uh, and, you know, felt really good. My, my family was there. Uh, my girlfriend was obviously in the student section. So, I mean, everyone was there that I wanted to be there. Um, and it felt really good, to say the least. KJ, what, what was the transition like, I'm curious, from <clears throat> from Connor Shaw to Dylan Thompson? Because, I mean, people – I mean, I'm sure they do remember, but people, I think, maybe forget how much Dylan played while Connor was still the starting quarterback. And, you know, I, I think Dylan is one of those guys that you talk about him. I think he's maybe even a little bit underrated um, for what he for did sure. at South Carolina. And, I mean, the stats, he – I think he still holds, what, the single-season record for passing yards at South Carolina? I mean, he went off that 2014 year. I mean, he went off. Um what what was the transition like as far as – I'm sure there was no step down as far as a leadership perspective because both him and oh, – Dylan yeah. and Connor both have those same qualities for sure. But just, you know, the overall offense as a whole – I mean, you guys, like I said, I, I would argue that was y'all's best offensive team, even out of the uh, the best teams that South Carolina have. And that, that team was great offensively. But just, just talk about the transition. I mean, anytime you lose your starting quarterback and some, you break in somebody else, it's going to be a little bit different. What was that transition like for you guys? Uh, it was, I mean, it was pretty seamless in my opinion. I mean, it was, he was obviously, he wasn't as mobile as Connor was, but, you know, throughout that season, he got a lot of guys out there read option that didn't expect him to keep it. Um, and he can move when he wants to. He he get the first down and get some yardage, but um, he definitely was more of a pocket presence. Um, the dude's work ethic was just as, I mean, him and Connor's work ethic together were was insane. Uh, so from a leadership standpoint, it, we didn't, we didn't miss a step um, when that transition occurred. Uh, they were both great leaders in the locker room from a an action standpoint, and you know what they what they portrayed verbally to the for, to the team. So there wasn't it wasn't a ton of. I mean, we knew Dylan. We knew what Dylan could do. Everyone knew what Dylan could do. And like you said, underrated. I think you know he should he should have been talked about and should be talked about more from what he did. Uh, you know, coming in when when Connor was there and Connor was hurt, and being able to you know, that, uh, that Clemson game, yep. you know, he was able to come in that Clemson game and, you know, do what he did. You know, a lot of guys can't do that. So um, when Connor uh, ended up going to the league, we had no doubt in our mind that Dylan was the next guy up and we weren't going to miss a step. Um, I still, I still talked to, to both of them. I still talked to Dylan too. And, you know, he was one of the guys that I looked up. He was my, he was actually my, my host as a recruit uh, going to South Carolina. So, known him for a long time and he was always that guy that I looked up to from a personal standpoint and a in a athletic standpoint. Um, you know, I I valued his leadership and his and his friendship a lot. Um and then on the field he was a dog. Mm-hmm. For sure. So you go throughout that 2014 season again some good W's, some tough L's. 
Um, the Miami game, the bowl game, you have two catches, 21 yards, and you guys get a big win in Miami. You also, I want to note, you had a huge key block for a Pharaoh Cooper <laughs> touchdown that people need to give you credit for. But obviously your career, you transferred to Wake Forest, and I'm sure, you know, taking a look, it was probably just simply like you said, to get on the field, get more opportunities, yeah. get playing time. But at what point in the 2014 season did you make the decision that you'd be transferring? Um, so I had <clears> – <throat> Cause I almost, I actually ended up almost transferring the previous year, the previous mm-hmm. spring, um, had some serious in-depth talks with the coaches and, you know, I wanted to play outside a little bit more. I'd played slot for a while and I just wanted to more, I more of a shot. Um, mm-hmm. so I got that, that green light and played B a little bit more and, uh, didn't play. I can't, I don't even, I don't, if I played at all the Texas A&M game, the first game may have been two, three plays. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I was wanting to get on the field more, ended up playing more the ECU game and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, through those four, first four or five games, um, it was really for me personally, it was, it was time to feel it out. You know, mm. uh, I felt like I had established a base where I earned more playing time than the previous year. Mm. And, don't know what it was. I just didn't get it. And during the middle of that season, I, you know, no work ethic changed. Um, I remember talking to some coaches when I made a decision to transfer next year. They were, they were like, we didn't even sense that you had the the idea of transferring or you felt like you needed to transfer. So um, that's just who I was. I didn't want to get on the field and provide a bad, right, right. A bad vibe to anybody. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of felt it out during that season. And, you know, it's like maybe next year I need to make a, a business decision and, you know, find a different environment where, you know, I, I can get some more film because if NFL is really anyone's dream, you got to have film. Mm. And um, I just didn't want to take that risk. Um, I wanted to put the ball in my court. Um, so that's why I ended up uh, making that decision to transfer and, you know, really trying to focus on, you know, do I have the, the, the teams that I talked to and ultimately chose Wake Forest, do I have an opportunity to play? Um, what do you guys, what does your room look like? Um, what's, what's established? What is, you know, what are areas for competition? All that kind of stuff. So that's kind of how my thought process played out during that season. And uh, I had no bad blood with anybody. Um, it was just, like I said, a business decision that I needed to make to have an opportunity for the next level. Well, and you did get your degree from uh, South Carolina, right? Yeah. Hotel, restaurant, tourism manager. Yeah, you got your degree from South Carolina. I, this is kind of off the uh, little change of pace, but what, what do you think right now with – because when you transferred, it was still – you know, I mean, transferring wasn't frowned upon, but it's like today, transferring is like a whole different world. You know what I mean? With the transfer portal and, like, guys are just there to school for a year and they transfer. <laughs> like, what's your what's your thoughts to former college player? I mean, I'm, I'm – you know – I like it, and I'm sure you do in the sense it gives power to the player, but mm-hmm. it really has turned college football. It's crazy. It's like free agency. It's just, I mean, yeah, you know, the Justin Fields thing. You go for one year, you don't like it, boom, get out. <laughs> it's like automatic, gone. I think they figured figured out a way to kind of not manipulate it, but like take it by take it by the horn. Right. I I, I mean, the way I am, I'm a loyal. Like I I love. I love South Carolina. I was loyal to South Carolina. And at the end of the day, I needed to make that decision uh, personally. Um, I had no idea or intentions 
at any point in that, my career to be like, you know, I got to I got to take advantage of this transfer portal and bounce around from different schools to, you know, get all this different kind of film, all that kind of stuff. So I haven't even really looked into since I left college, looked into the ins and outs of this transfer portal. But it's definitely more as an observer, I def- you definitely see it more often than when I was in college. Mm. Uh, I mean, you'd hear it may be breaking news when someone pre- when transfers. Uh, and now guys are doing it every single year. And even guys that you wouldn't expect to transfer after having, you know, pre- a pretty solid year at mm. school. Um, but just use that opportunity to, to use the transfer portal. And I don't know what the reasons are, but they just choose to do so. For sure. KJ, I, I would say, speaking of your Wake Forest career, 2015, I, I would say that move really paid off for you because you went from having 14 career catches in three years at South Carolina to in your one year at Wake Forest, 42 catches, 583 yards, and a touchdown. J- just talk about that that year at Wake Forest, what that was like, that experience. And again, like you said, finally get on, getting on the field, being able to contribute. I mean, you're still playing the top competition, the ACC hell. Yeah. I saw you had four catches for 60 yards against Clemson. I'm sure that kind of low-key felt good too. So, I mean, yeah. but just talk about, you know, that year playing for Wake Forest. It was uh, – I tell the coaches still to this day I owe them a lot because um, without them accepting me, you know, taking a guy in – as a graduate transfer, you know, they're only going to be there for seven, eight months. Mm. Um, you know, that's a lot for them because coaches are trying to build their team, you know, from within and through their, their recruits that they recruit as in from freshman up and the receiving room was very young. <clears throat> so for Higgins to, to be that accepting um, of me in that room and allowing me to establish some kind of, you know, a leadership role in a way, not because of the, you know, crazy stats or experience from a gameplay perspective, but uh, I've been I've, I've been there for four years and I know you know I know how it goes. So I was able to kind of guide a lot of those guys in the right direction in the meeting rooms, how to study and you know how to um, to be a not a professional, but you know a professional. Um, that was that was a that year changed a lot for me. Um, it helped me grow as a, a person, as a player, and obviously got me the film that I needed. It was awesome to be able to play in, you know, those big-time games and you play against Florida State when they were ranked, play against Clemson, play, play at Notre Dame. Uh, I had never been to Notre Dame, so um, I had a lot of great experiences there, a lot of great memories, and, you know, like I said, I owe them a lot um, for being that accepting as a graduate transfer. Now, meanwhile, on the flip side, I, you know, I, I say this, and it, it's – I say this jokingly, I guess, is that you got out at the perfect time. I mean, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, I, I know you probably wouldn't say that publicly, but, like, when you when you look at how it all happened, it's kind of like looking back. It's like, ah, maybe that was a really good decision. I mean, so 2015 for South Carolina, obviously, you're yeah. bringing even more new players. You go three and nine. Steve Spurrier resigns about halfway through the year. I mean, again, you're focused on getting your film, contributing to Wake Forest, doing your thing. But I, I'm sure, again, that's all your teammates are on that team. And I'm sure you were keeping an eye on. I mean, what's going through your head? You're like, what in the world is going on down there? It was so unexpected. I had heard rumors uh, in camp about what may happen, but I didn't expect any of that to happen when it right. did. Uh, and I, I mean, I, there were some guys that I, some of my friends that were still there, were like that, that would hit me up, and be like, you got out, you know, in the nick of time. And I was like, I, I kind of did because nobody, as a player, even a staff or or a team, wants to go through you know, coach leaving in the middle of the season or, you know, having to make that big adjustment with 
you know, a whole lot of games left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I was, you know, I would make sure that, you know, my guys back at South Carolina were straight level-headed, you know, cause that's a lot to kind of handle oh, when yeah. you got, you got to go up against SEC teams every week. Um, but I mean, I think they did the the best thing they could have done with, you know, who replaced him and, um, you know, they fought every game and there were some games that a lot of people didn't expect them to be in because of the situation they were in, but they, they, they held strong and they competed. Um, and I, I think that's what a lot of the fans wanted. Um, and that was, it was good to see, you know, it was, it was good to see my guys, my friends go out there and compete and regardless of the circumstances they were in. Now, again, you're a guy that knows Steve Spurrier, and I said, you know, it really, you said it really surprised you. And I'm sure, again, when you left South Carolina, you weren't necessarily thinking about, oh, what's Steve Spurrier going to do? But first things, was there any, I mean, would you have ever, after you left, or at the end of 2014, you guys win that bowl game, would you have ever guessed that he might be leaving in the near future? And then, you know, again, Spurrier's a guy that, I mean, he told us, he's like, you know, if this thing ever goes bad, I'm, I'm he basically said, I'm going to fire myself. Like, I'm not going to coach and let it go bad and be one of those coaches that lets you just drag on. And, I mean, to his credit, he followed his word. He did it. But, like you said, in the middle of the season, um, just your overall reaction to the whole thing. And, I mean, like I said, you know, was there any indication to you that that may even be a remote possibility, like, in the near future? Definitely in the near future. I think we all – you know, he'd been coaching forever. Mm -hmm. And he had a great run. We had a 2014 season where it wasn't as expected of us um so we were like with the long career he's had you know hopefully after that season we're not on the you know the down end of of things moving forward um if they continue to get worse obviously we have players we didn't have that that mindset we were I mean we were competitive and had the confidence that we always had but um in reality if it for some reason happened happened in the next couple seasons we're like he might he might hang it up, but that was like, we, we had anticipated that with the next two, three seasons, mm. definitely not when it did. Um, I don't think anyone, I'd be surprised if any of the guys on our team anticipated that to happen when it did um, in the middle of the season, right after, was that after the LSU game? It was after the LSU or, game. It was the week of Vanderbilt and uh, he came out Tuesday and that was the press conference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but that whole timeline the the flood and everything was going on too yeah. so there was a lot going on yeah. just in those in those few weeks um and that was just the the bad cherry on top uh to kind of top it off yeah for sure so your professional career game you have that great year at kj or you have that great year at wake forest kj um you bounced around the nfl like i said played for oakland seattle indianapolis tampa bay um just talk about really when you take a look back at your professional career, just your takeaways from being in the NFL again, going against the top competition every single day. I know you, you probably didn't hit the ultimate goal you wanted to hit, which was getting on the field and contributing for an NFL team. But again, it's no small feat, you know, small accomplishment being on an NFL roster in any capacity. Just talk about, yeah. you know, your biggest takeaways. Again, you're with the Raiders, Seahawks, Colts, and Bucks. Um, you know, spending four years in the league. I mean, just what was that experience like? Uh, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, regardless of the fact, you know, I had a bunch of goals I set for myself when I became a rookie. Um, There's a lot that I didn't check off, but there's a lot that I checked off that I'd never even thought that I would, um, that I didn't even know about. So, and I know the the perception of when we were in college, the practice squad was, you know, not that great um, for the people that I talked to, Mm. but then I was on practice squad a lot. And I realized 
my first year um, after getting cut and signed back on to the practice squad with Oakland my first year, and then being able to stick on practice squad for a whole season, I realized after that year how uncommon that is because, you know, practice squad, squad guys circulate week in and week out. You know, you're on a week-to-week contract pretty much. Uh, so you're not bound to any contract. You're not – I mean, after one week, they can cut you whenever. Mm. Um, so you, I realized from a business side, you know, how – how much you have to keep your head on the swivel, um, you know, as, as you are teammates and you have to be, you know, the best teammates you can be and contribute and help everybody. You got to be your own business as well. And you got to look out for yourself. And that was something I didn't realize until the, the, the season with Oakland, um, the whole kind of camp. Uh, I thought I had a good camp. I, I was hoping to make the team. And then when I got cut that, for like that day I got cut was demoralizing, but then I realized that I had a shot to what I realized what practice squad really was and the opportunity that I had, you know, to get bumped up, all that kind of stuff. And then even the next year when I signed with Indy practice squad, I ended up getting bumped up for the last five games. So I was able to play in those games um, and contribute after, you know, showing them that I could, you know, I had the work ethic and I was busting my tail uh, to get bumped up. Um, so, it definitely was a great experience. I learned a lot. I played with a lot of guys that, you know, as a young kid that were still playing in the league, when I got there, you know, I looked up to and, you know, I, you know, was was an inspiration in my game. Uh, I remember the first preseason game uh, we played against the Cardinals and I talked to Larry Fitzgerald a little bit after. And that was a guy growing up that was always, you know, if anyone ever asked me, you know, who you try to form your game around, you know, the frame, I wasn't nowhere near his size or frame. But, you know, Larry did it all, uh, blocking all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that kind of – those kind of guys I was able to, you know, either share a field with or play alongside with and learn a ton from. Um, you, you know, you, you can't you – can't, I can't write those kind of stories. And, you know, I will – there's a lot that I will never share, but there's a lot of stuff that I will take for uh, the rest of my life and, you know, share with family and friends from here on out and, um, I appreciated the four years that I had there. And uh, like, I, like you said, like a lot didn't probably go my way that I, you know, expected, but um, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, that's a, it's an opportunity that you know, a lot majority of people don't have, you know? Yeah. I, I was going to ask you, you just mentioned Fitzgerald, if there was anybody that, you know, when you got to the league, if you were, you know, again, you're all professionals, but that you're in all, you're like, dude, I've been watching that guy on TV forever. And it's like, here he is. <laughs> like he's a colleague now. Like it's, it's, I guess Fitzgerald was that guy. I mean, I remember watching Fitzgerald when he played at Pittsburgh, and he was – I mean, like I said, he was that dude. I mean, for sure. And yeah, he was – He's been that dude oh. in the league forever. Yeah, and, that, and that's another thing. It was kind of crazy, and a lot of people asked me after I got home from my first OTAs, they're like, how is it? You know, is it is it crazy? And I don't know – I don't speak for, you know, other players. When I got there, it's kind of like you don't have time to be – in all, like, I've never been that mm-hmm. kind of guy anyways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you get there and you're like, all right, I got to show these guys that I belong here. Mm-hmm. So I don't have time to, you know, look around and be like, oh, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so. Like, I got to play against you guys or I got to I gotta show you that I can stand, you know, in a slot next to you and you're outside of me. Like, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, you know. So you, you almost don't have time to think like that um you do you do appreciate you know you do take time and reflect you know I'm playing alongside of guys that you know I watched growing up and all that kind of stuff so you do reflect and appreciate where you are um but I was always from the get-go you know I gotta I gotta show these guys that I'm 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 their caliber as well you know I gotta compete 
For sure. I, I see you guys interacting on social media all the time. But again, I was talking about, you know, your colleagues in the NFL, but former Gamecocks in the NFL, like you mentioned, those teams you were on, man, so many dudes that, yeah. I mean, heck, there's so many of them that are still playing to this day in the NFL. Um, yeah. But so many of your former teammates that played in the NFL for a time or a period are still going. And I see you guys, I see you like Mike Davis, Nikki Jones, Ace Sanders, Jason Barnes, like a lot of you guys interacting on Twitter and social media. I know the Gamecock, the Gamecock family is very tight. But especially the guys that, like I said, got to the league, and I know Mike's still Mike's still doing it in the league. But how yeah. how cool is that? I guess just to be a part of that fraternity of guys that, and again, it's you're close with all your guys, but it's, especially the guys that that got to the league and you know in some capacity and got their shot, and you know just to have that camaraderie and have that 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 in common. I, I'm assuming that has to be a really really cool bond and a cool thing you guys share between each other. So I always enjoyed talking to them about, you know, memories and stuff at South Carolina. And even though I didn't, I didn't play a ton, you know, we were all in the same locker room. Um, we were all friends. We were all tight, you know, so regardless of the playing status, you know, we all have a lot of memories together. Uh, a lot of, a lot of things we can laugh about. Um, like you see on Twitter, we laughing about a whole bunch of stuff that we went through. Um, and there's plenty more stuff that'll probably come up in the near future that we'll kind of, you know, Mm. revert back to and kind of talk about and reflect on but it's always kind of fun to to realize that they're also in a good place and you know they're happy too and it's always good to see your guys successful and you know um doing well in life uh but then you know at the same time kind of joking around with each other about the the times back in 2011 2012 and the, the times that you'll never get back but can always reflect on now, I know you're early on in the process, but I'll ask you, what, what do you think is tougher, being an NFL wide receiver or being a dad? What do you think? Um, <laughs> they, they both have their quirks. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I, my da our daughter's been pretty – she's been a saint. How, so how old is she? She'll be two months on Monday. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, you're really early pretty, on in the process. Yeah, yeah. Pretty fresh. But uh, <laughs> she cries when she needs to eat and when she goes to the bathroom, and that's pretty much it. She sleeps pretty well. Like, she slept from 1230 to 6-something a day, so she's starting that's to sleep good. a little bit more. So uh, as long as we can keep that that up. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but it's it's been awesome. It's There's definitely some nights where she'll be fussy and it's like, you know, maybe I would rather be <laughs> in a two-a-day right now. but <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I, I want to get your take again, KJ. I, I know you're an outside observer, but you're a former Gamecock, a proud alum. Um, just your take on the status of the program right now. Again, going into what's going to be a really weird, crazy year with every – I mean, 2020 has just been a mess. But yeah. the 10-game SEC schedule, Will Muschamp going in his fifth season. Obviously, I, I think there's as much talent on the field as there's been in a while. But just – your overall take, I'll ask you, have you gotten to meet Will Muschamp and just your overall take on the status of the program right now? I haven't met Will uh, physically, um, haven't done that yet. But, you know, I think you see, we've seen sparks over the past few years and of what the team can do, what the teams can do. Uh, and obviously, I think a, a lot of the, the community still – you know, reverse back to those like the three years we were talking about. They got a right. they got a taste of that success, and you know, once you get, I mean, I I can't blame people. Once you get that, once you get that taste, you know, you don't yeah. ever really want to lose it. You know, yeah. um, you always want that kind of success, and the 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 program does too. And so, you know, I'm hoping they 
they bounce, they continue to, you know, grow and, you know, get that kind of success rolling back. But um, I know there's a lot, I'm, I'm, I've seen on Twitter, the community, I, there's a lot of pressure uh, for the team and for Muschamp and them. And so I'm hoping they, you know, can, I hope things pan out for them. Uh, and I hope they can continue to success and keep growing and uh, take that, take a little bit of that pressure off of their backs. Yeah, you, you never – I always say you never want to be the guy that follows up a legend, and that's kind of what the situation <laughs> Muschamp got put in. Um, <clears throat> have you – I'll ask you, have you been to a game since you left South Carolina? Like, have you been recently? Or? Yeah, I went to – I went to the Georgia game a few years ago. Um, I think that might be the last Gamecock game I went to. Well, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, walking around again, because, I mean, you got there in 2011. I mean, seeing the enhancements with the facilities and – Gamecock oh, Park yeah. and the indoor facility and their nice new practice field. I mean, you know, you were on the proving grounds. You know what I mean? You guys were on the proving yeah. grounds. You were, you know, you were walking from the weight room to the locker room all around. I mean, is it – how crazy is it to see – you know, they got 650 Lincoln where they're living now. Like, I mean, how, oh, yeah. how, how crazy is it, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you saw your former teammate, Tori Gurley, which, I mean, looking back now, I can laugh because it's funny. And even in the moment, I was like, damn. But, you know, when he was – Going when he was going on his rants after the North Carolina game, saying that you know you you sleep on silk sheets. He's like, you need to get back in the bubble. And I was like, that's just so funny because those guys, like, you know, I mean, I'm sure those teams look now. They're like, man, we didn't have that. Like, where was that when we were there? But no, it, we how just, crazy is it to see the landscape we now? We shared that bubble with the tra in track team, the soccer <laughs> team, and you know, there were some days where it was raining. We had to wait a little bit for the soccer team to get done with practice. Um, there were moments where we had the, the police block traffic on, uh, um, yeah. bluff road, uh, bluff road. And there was always those moments where we, some of the guys had to wait because there was a car that wasn't watching and, you know, mm -hmm. we don't want to get hit going to practice. <laughs> uh, they don't have that. Um, they don't have to go through that right now. You know, the, the parking lot outside of the stadium was uneven and right, right. all that kind of that asphalt, but going back and walking around, you know, the nice concrete. And I went uh, a few years ago, me and Connor uh, went, was in the indoor throwing, uh, running routes and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> like you said, the enhancements are insane. And that was before they even got the, the practice field done and the mm -hmm. offices in there done. So even that alone was, you know, a huge update from what we were used to. Yeah, I got a tour of the ops building, man. It, it is. I mean, it's a game. It's, it's what you have to have now, though, in college football. I mean, it's, everybody's got yeah. it. You got it. It's a facilities arms race for sure. KJ, I'm going to get you out of here. I appreciate your time. But last thing really quickly on a fun note, um, you talked about some of the stories your former teammates talk about. But I, I want to get just in regards to, I mean, I feel like Steve Spurrier is a human highlight reel when it comes to just funny things he says. Just off the top of your head, your favorite Spurrier memory, whether it be him oh. lashing at you or another player or the team or like is there one thing that sticks out that like you'll just never forget from Spurrier so I don't have it anymore because I didn't back up my notes but I had a <laughs> I had an ongoing list of the names that I was called not bad names but <laughs> right, um, right, right you know like I go introduce introduce my someone introduce myself to someone and KJ I'll get AJ back and I'm like no it's KJ he knew it was KJ but um just Spurrier's got a lot going on so we would always laugh. Um, and this is going into my junior year. I would get AJ, JJ, uh, CJ. So I had an ongoing list. Uh, uh, he, call, he would call me – he called me Demir sometimes. He called me, like, other players. Um, and it was just –
like you knew he I, I, we all knew he knew my name right um but he did that some, to some other guys as well just because he his mind's going a million miles a minute but um I think at the end of my freshman year, I was like, let me start jotting down the list of the names. I, was, I think it ended up being like 15 over span a couple of years, but that was just a funny, a funny ongoing list that I kept. And I'll always, I'll always remember that. I wish I still had it. So I could kind of list off the name. <laughs> was there, was there anybody on the team that like had the Spurrier impression nailed down? Cause I feel like every team he has, there's one guy that just loves to do the, do the I, impressions. Uh, I remember Garcia having a pretty good impression. <laughs> That's typical. Um, uh, I think Dylan had I – mean, there were always guys that had a pretty good – because he was so, like – he was so yeah. quick and blunt. And it was almost easy. Like, there was there was a few guys that I can't remember that had, like, the, the sound down. Right. Um, but there was always people in the locker room just kind of impersonating just because it was kind of easy to do so. Jeez, that's that's it's just it's just the legend of Steve Spurrier. It just carries yeah, the legend of Steve Spurrier. Yeah, it's just him for sure. Well, KJ, appreciate you taking the time, man. I, I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans. It, it was a blast watching you, watching the team do what you did. I'm glad it all worked out when you went to Wake, and then obviously your pro career and everything. And uh, I appreciate appreciate it. you taking the time, man. I'm I'm glad we we're able to make it work. And uh, best of luck with fatherhood. Obviously, again, I know you're really early on, but and these are crazy yeah. times, but. Uh, you know, wish you nothing but the best, man. I appreciate it for sure. Let's do it again do, uh, definitely soon for sure. For sure. I appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. He's KJ Brand. I'm Chris Fultz. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show.